only one thing only one thing is needful amen and i got this title from um luke chapter 10 verse 41 that's where um my text is going to come from and other parts um of the bible but um so I want us to read, before we start, let's, shall we share a word of prayer? Father, we thank you this morning. We bless you um, for the lives of all our mothers on this platform. This morning, as we are going to share your word, we ask, oh God, that you open our hearts to hear the word that you have for us. And most importantly, to be able to um, apply it to our lives. I pray, oh God, that you will speak through me, set me aside and speak through me whatever words, whatever message you want your people to hear this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, have I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm reading Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 41. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Amen. From this story, we can see two women, Mary and Martha, and um, they had two differing views on how to um, entertain a guest. One um, thought that it would be good to, you know, prepare food, do all that. I, I can just imagine this being in Africa, right? I'm sure she started preparing this, preparing for Jesus's coming like a whole week in advance. She's cleaned her house, she's vacuumed the laundry, everything. She's, she's you know, cleaned up the kids. The kids have to look, you know, everybody has to look good. She's told the kids don't misbehave. When Jesus comes here, you better be, you know, on point. She's done all of that in advance of Jesus's coming. And on that day, I'm sure she's gonna prepare some fufu and good light soup. I mean, the soup is gonna have all the meats in the world going to have cow feeds, you name it, everything. And she's probably going to add a lot. And these things are like, if, if you know anything about African meals, they take a long time to get them ready. You would, you would be in, you could be in the kitchen from morning to evening. So I'm sure that's what Martha was doing. She was busily preparing for Jesus, right? I mean, that's a very important guest. He can't come to the house and be hungry. He, he needs to leave with his stomach full. When he comes to an African house, that's how we do it. We can't let, you know, every sister come and go hungry. And so that's what Martha was doing. She was preparing for Jesus's coming. She was busy, you know, doing all of these things. And where is Mary to be found? Mary is nowhere in the kitchen. She is sitting at Jesus's feet, just absorbing everything that Jesus has to say, listening to Jesus, absorbing some wisdom. And Martha comes out, she's frustrated. She's, you know, she's exhausted from all the things that she's been doing. And she's frustrated, overwhelmed. Mary, why are you not here with me? She comes to Jesus, hoping that Jesus would help her. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, 
you are worried about too many things. And I, I'm I, I could just imagine what like her facial expression. I'm sure it changed. She's like, oh my, like I'm coming to you to help me, and this is what you are seeing. But anyway, so based on this story, there are three things that I want to share with all of us this morning. And the first one is Martha went to Jesus when she was desperate, when she was exhausted, when she was overwhelmed. Jesus is the first person she turned to. And so this morning, I want to tell all the mothers on this platform, grandmother, spiritual mother, whoever you are, that learn to go to Jesus when you are exhausted, when you are juggling so many things. You're juggling your career, you're juggling home, your ministry, you know, all the many things calling for attention today. Learn to go to Jesus. Stop complaining to people. Don't tell, I mean, there's only so much people can do for you but learn to go to Jesus with your problems. In Philippians chapter four, verse six, the Bible says that be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the verse seven is just a wonderful promise. It says, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. What more do you want? This is Jesus's peace. The kind of peace that is, you know, is just perfect. So that even in the midst of the storm, when you are juggling all these other things, you can still have some peace in you. You can still go to bed and sleep. In Matthew 11, 28, Jesus also says, come to me. He invites us. He says, come to me, all you are weary and um, heaven laden, and I'll give you rest. He promises to give us rest. He promises to give us peace. And so this morning, I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what you are worried about. I don't know what your problem is. What, what is it that you are praying to God for? You're probably praying to God for your child, for that child that has gone astray. You are probably thinking about, um, you know, how to set your priorities. How do I, you know, juggle being a mother, being um, a minister of God with my career, all of those things that are calling for attention. You probably have a lot of questions and you don't know how to go about it. This morning, I'm inviting you to go to Jesus. Don't go complaining to anybody. Don't go telling anybody about your issues. Go first and foremost to Jesus. Go to your knees. And he promises that he's going to give us rest and he's going to give us peace. Amen. This, um, the, the peace pass brought um, a song to memory. Um, what a friend we have in Jesus. I can't sing so. I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to read um, the second stanza. It says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So when you don't carry things to God in prayer, you are just, you know, you're losing sleep over nothing. You're just worrying yourself over nothing. You're just being anxious and being depressed. Today, we read a lot in the news about how a lot of people are being depressed how a lot of people are suffering from anxiety. Just a few days or a few weeks ago, I read about the lady who killed her two children. She's probably overwhelmed, she's tired, but that is not, it's not an answer. There are so many people who want children. I mean, why would you kill them? What about adoption? Why, why wouldn't you give them up for adoption? But this is what happens when you think the way the world thinks, right? But as a Christian, God has invited us to come to him with our problems. So learn to pray as a Christian, learn to take your problems to God, amen. And the second one that I wanna talk about is 
only one thing is needed. Again, in today's world, the woman is very busy. We have um, our career to worry about. We have our children to worry about. A lot of people take pride in these things, in their children, in their um, the kind of things that their children wear. That they want to make sure that their, their, their kids are dressed properly, wearing the best foods, you know, the best clothes. Um, they, they take pride in their own, you know, their own um, career. There are a lot of things that we take pride in. But today, Jesus is saying that only one thing is needed. And what is that one thing that is needed? It is what Mary did. She sat at Jesus' feet. She was listening to the word. She stayed in the word. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm too busy. Um, I want to, um, you know, I, um, I'm busy with the children. I'm waiting for them to be a little bit independent. And then, you know, I'll start reading the word or um, I'm waiting to get that promotion. Once I get that promotion, I'll be able to have more time to study the word. Well, newsflash, that is never going to happen. I'm not saying you're never going to get your promotion or your children are never going to be independent. It, it will happen, but what I'm saying is the time is always going to be 24 hours, and there's always going to be something that is demanding your attention, something that is calling for your attention. And so if you are not intentional about spending time in the Word, if you are not intentional about, you know, reading the Word, it's, it, it's not going to happen because there are always things, things are always going to come up that are going to, you know, ask for your attention, beg for your attention. And so this morning, I want to let every woman know here that it doesn't matter all the things that you are juggling with, only one thing is needful, and that is staying in the word. And that praying and staying in the word is going to, you know, it's going to shape your mind, it's going to shape your heart, it's going to shape who you are. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's going to influence the kind of things that come out of your mouth. And so that brings me to the meat of my message, which is the third point. That is, you know, it's good to take your children to the best daycares. It's good to um, take them to the best colleges. It's good to get them the right nutrition, you know, get them to eat vegetables. It's good to buy them all the beautiful toys, all the developmental toys. It's good to take them on all those exotic, you know, um, vacations to Disney World so that your children can have the best of experiences. But only one thing is needful. The best thing that you can give your children is to get them to sit at the master's feet. So the first one was you yourself, you need to go to Jesus. The second one was one thing is needful for yourself. You also need to stay in the word. And the third one is what you do for your child, right? The investments you are putting into your child. Only one thing is needful, which is getting your child to sit at the master's feet. And so how do we do this? And, you know, Jesus said that this is one thing that nobody will be able to take away from Mary. So if this is something you're able to give your child, this is one thing that nobody will be able to take away from your child. As a mother, you are positioned to leave an indelible mark on your children, a permanent mark for your children. So since being a mother, I've, I've been um, obsessed with reading about, you know, child development. I've called the internet, just reading about how children develop. And from all that I've read, the research points to this, that the early years of a child's life are very important for their development later on. 
And from what I read, it's saying that although the brain continues to develop throughout one's life, a significant portion of that growth occurs in the first five years of the child's life. When I read that, I was like, wow. First five years, like I, I need to be doing more. I am like, I need to be doing more. I was like, no, this cannot be true. And so I kept reading and reading and that was this. That was everybody's conclusion that the brain grows very rapidly to about 80% of the adult size by age three, your child's brain would have grown by 80%. And by age five, it would have grown by 90%. And the child hasn't even lived half of his years on this life yet. Just those five years, 90% of his brain is already developed. And that the child's brain is very flexible at that age. And so the first five years sets the foundation for his future learning and his future success. And so if you want your child to be successful, those first five years, you need to be sowing into your child's life. And who amongst us here spends the most of their time with a child, child in those first five years? It's the mothers. And so mothers, we have a responsibility. We have a huge, enormous responsibility, you know, to our children. And like Pastor Jess said today in today's, um, Bible study, she was talking about ministry. I want us to see motherhood as a ministry. I want us to see motherhood as a calling, okay? It's not just something you are doing at home. It's, it is a ministry. You need to take it seriously. It's, don't just think about, you know, what your children are going to eat, um, whether the children have taken their bath, their hygiene. Think about where they would be in future. Think about eternity. Because right? we, are, we, are, we are spirits, we are going to live for eternity. So think about that. What are you sowing into your child's life? How are you preparing your child for not just the future, but for eternity? We shouldn't take this lightly at all. You could be the mother of you know, the next president, the future president. You could be the mother of you know, the next great prophet. You decide, you get to decide that. And so for mothers, it's very important that we know what God has, you know, said of these children, what, um, what is God's purpose for our children? Every one of us here has been created for a unique purpose. There is a divine purpose for all of us here. And as mothers, it is our responsibility to know this so that we can, you know, train our children, move them in that right direction. So Proverbs chapter 22, verse says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. What does it mean to train up a child in the way he should go? If you don't know the way he should go, how are you going to train that child? And that's why in the beginning, I started with you, the mother. You need to be praying. You need to be reading the word, right? You need to have God in your heart so that you can you know, pour it out into your children. And so we are going to look at some examples from the from the Bible. One of the um, examples I wanna share with us today is the story of Moses. We all know um, the story of Moses, how his mother was very brave. Um, he was born at a time where um, Pharaoh had um, ordered that all the male kids be, be, um, be killed because he was scared that the Israelites were gonna get stronger, you know, and one day overpower um, the Egyptians. So this woman kept her child 
And um, she did something very strategic. She puts, once she wasn't able to, you know, keep the child anymore because, you know, he's gotten to the point where he's going to cry. People are going to hear him. She put him um, on the river now where later Pharaoh's daughter would come take her bath and then see this child. And then what else does she do? She, she, she uses um, Moses' sister, right? To stay there and then see what is going to happen to the child. And then Moses, like her mom, was also, I mean, um, Miriam, like her mom, was also very brave. She, she did what her mom asked her to do. And then she didn't just stop there. She went up to Pharaoh's daughter and then asked her, do you want me to go call somebody who can, you know, nurse for you? I thought that was very brave of her. And I don't know if her mom was the one who gave her that idea, but obviously you can tell that her mom had also been sowing seeds in her also. And so she took after her mom. I want us to go into Exodus chapter two and read the story. Exodus chapter two, verse, verse seven. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was born, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he says to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Amen. Whenever I read this story, I'm, I'm really intrigued. I'm like, how did Moses know that he was a Hebrew? When you read the Bible, the, the, the Bible says he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. How did he know that the Hebrew was his brethren and not the Egyptian? This was somebody who grew up in, in, in Pharaoh's palace. He grew up as an Egyptian. So how did he get to know that he wasn't an Egyptian, but a Hebrew? So this brings me to what I, I talked to you about, the research, right? That's a child's formative years are the first five years, you know, of that child. And um, so I, I, I did some research and I realized that according to the Israel's, um, Israelite custom, babies are nursed for up to four years. It's not like now where we nurse babies for one year, one and a half years, tops two years, we are done. Babies were nursed for four years. So during those four years, his mother capitalized those four years, right? Capitalized on those four years and then taught him that you are a Hebrew. You are not an Egyptian. This is who you are. This is who God has made you out to be. And so Moses knew. He knew without a shadow of doubt who he was. 
that he was a Hebrew and not an Egyptian. He knew he was destined for greatness. He understood his assignments, right? He knew that one day he would deliver the people of Israel. And that's exactly what he was doing. I mean, he might not have done it the right way. You know, when he saw two Hebrews, he reconciled them. He wanted to reconcile them. But when he saw one Hebrew and an Egyptian, he delivered the Hebrew. And that was, you know, God's calling upon his life. And his mom made sure that he knew that calling upon his life. He taught him within those few years that she had with him, that she was nursing him, she sowed a seed into his heart, into his brain, into his mind, right? And uh, when we read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26, we see what um, Moses did or what Moses became. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Amen. What was that reward? What was he looking, um, that he was looking towards? How did he know that he wasn't Pharaoh's daughter and that he was, you know, the daughter of a Hebrew? His mom. His mom planted all of these seeds into him. His mom made sure that he knew who he was, where, where he came from, and what he was going to be. Amen. And so today, I'm talking to everybody here, mothers, grandmothers, godmothers, spiritual mothers, let's speak into our children, okay? This is not something you can delegate to the pastor. You can delegate this to um, your children's um, daycare um, providers. You can delegate this to anybody else. It is your responsibility. Just recently, I was listening to a pastor and he said that a closed mouth is a closed destiny. If you want to speak, if you want to see your child's destiny come out, you need to speak into their lives. Don't close your mouth. And I, I think my mom understood this assignment. So one of her favorite verses is Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. It says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. And for Jerusalem's sake, I do not rest. So her righteousness go out as brightness and her salvation as a torch. My mom always read this verse. What she was saying is because of us, she wasn't going to keep quiet. She was always praying. My mom was a very prayerful woman. Just um, two days ago, my brother, one of my, one of my brothers was like, how come none of us got this anointing for my mom to pray for so long? Because my mom could pray. She would go into the room. She would lock the door. She'd go like, nobody should come disturb me. And then she would just pray. You would hear her pray. She would mention everybody's name. So we are eight, four boys, four girls. She would mention everybody's name and just, you know, speak words into our lives. And I believe that is what has shaped us. Just recently, one of my brothers, the one I just I was just talking about, he he's 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 given his life to Christ. It's it's just so magical when you speak to him, 
like there isn't a single sign that you're talking to him that he's not quoting verses. He's like the new pastor in my family. He's always, you know, like he's, you can see he's excited about God now. He's, you know, like um, last year, so last year my dad was, was very sick and, you know, like he, he was one of the, the, I mean, all of us did pray for my dad, but like when, whenever you spoke to him, he always had, you know, so much words of encouragement because now he was reading the word. He, he was, you know, building up his faith. And so anytime you spoke to him, he always had a word for you. He always had something to say. And I, whenever I spoke to my mom, I could tell that my mom was really excited. You know, she could see that, you know, all those years, all those years, all that she was laboring for, it wasn't in vain, right? It's now she's seen, you know, the fruits. She's seen all the seeds that she's sown in us that it's, it's coming to life. And the same, when I was sharing the story with my, um, with my husband, my husband also said, you know, something about himself, how he's also a testament of his, you know, his mom's words. So he grew up in a neighborhood that was, you know, full of Muslims. And a lot of people would come to his mom and go like, this child of yours is going to be a Muslim. Because he was always in the company of, you know, Muslims. He, those were the people he was moving with, talking with, you know, like all of his time was spent with these people. But because, but these people are not his mom, right? They don't have that authority to say that he was going to be a Muslim. His mom knew who he was. His mom spoke words into him. His mom spoke life into him. And today he is a pastor. Regardless of where he grew up, regardless of the company that he kept, he knew within him that he was a child of God, that he was a Christian. And so all the years that he spends with them did not, you know, influence him. His mom had a bigger influence on him than all these other people. And so what am I saying to you, mother, um, sister, um, grandmother here, that, I mean, right now in this world, there are a lot of things begging for the, for the attention of our children, a lot of vices, a lot of things that our children could be involved in. There are people having sleepless nights because they're like, is my child going to make the right decision? Is my child going to grow up right? You, you don't have to worry about that. You are in a position to influence what your child is going to become. And so don't keep your mouth shut. Pray for him. When you go on your knees, pray for your child. When you are with your child, speak words to them. You know, speak, speak life into them. Let them know who they are. Let them know where they come from. Let them know that um, someday Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to come with his reward. And this is how they are supposed to live their lives. Show them how to live their lives. Model to them. Be a model to them. So I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and they, they are like parrots. Whatever you say, they're going to repeat this back to you. And so you need to be careful. A lot of children are not going to say, you know, what you ask them to do, but they are going to do what they see you do. They're going to say the things that they hear you say. And so as mothers, stop worrying about, you know, whether your child is going to make the right decisions or not. And instead, trust God that, as he said, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from Trust that when you bring him up in the fear of God, one day, one day, it doesn't matter how far he has gone, he's going to come back. This the, Immediately I said this, another thing, I remembered another um, story I just read about Yao Pebi. He, 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 he was celebrating his birthday, I think last month or two months ago. And he also talked about 
how his mom dedicated him right from infancy. So, you know, like it, it didn't matter, it didn't matter um, the, the decisions that he was making. He, it, all of these decisions were influenced by the things that his mother had taught him right from, you know, from childhood. His mother, his mother had dedicated him to God. And so it didn't matter what um, all the things that he had done. He knew that one day he was going to be instrumental in, you know, God's purpose, in God's, you know, what, what, whatever God was planning for this earth, he was going to be instrumental. And this guy does do a lot of things. I don't know if any of you here knows him. He, he, he is very worded, right? I mean, when you're listening to him, you can tell that really his mom did have an influence on him. Amen. Another example I want to give is Hannah. So Hannah was, she had been barren for a while and um, Penina, her husband's other wife, she was prolific. She was giving birth, you know, left, right, center. And, um, you know, this made Hannah very sad. And so one of these days when she went up to pray, she made a vow to God that she was going to, you know, dedicate her child to the Lord. And so eventually God remembered her, right? And then she gave birth and named him Samuel. So we can see the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. Now the man Elkanah and all his house. So this is after, um, you know, um, Hannah had prayed to God. God had eventually remembered her and then given her a child. I, I want us to see something that Hannah did. So from 21, from verse 21. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. I want you to take notes of that. Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah and her husband, so El Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Amen. I mean, did you hear her words? She says, as long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So I'm sure during the time that, you know, she was nursing the child. And again, she's an Israelite, right? So I'm sure she also did it for about four years. And so during that time, before she eventually took Samuel to live with Eli, she was pouring into the child. She was telling the child the circumstances of his birth, what she had promised God, and the fact that she, um, he, Samuel, was going to be for was going to be for the Lord 
the rest of his life. And we know the story about how um, Eli's kids, right? Eli's two sons. The Bible describes them as worthless, dishonorable, unprincipled men. They did not fear the Lord. And yes, these were people who grew up in the house of the Lord. They grew up as Eli's children. Can you imagine what would have happened if um, Hannah had just taken his, um, her son to live with them without you know, saying that she was going to keep him you know, for a few years and then win him and then eventually take him there? Can you imagine what would have happened? He would have been corrupted like Eli's sons, Eli's, um, Eli's sons. He would have done the same thing that they did, become worthless, a dishonorable, and an unprincipled person. She didn't leave that job for the, for the priests. She could have easily said that, oh, she, he's going to live in the house of God. And so, I mean, what better place, right? What better person to bring up my child? She didn't do that. She took the responsibility upon herself. She didn't delegate it to anybody. She didn't delegate it to the priest. She took it wholeheartedly. And then she poured into her son. She, she sowed seeds into her son. And after that, after um, her child eventually left for that, after she eventually took her child there, every year she was going there, she was um, um, sewing ropes and then taking it to her son. And I can imagine, I'm sure every time she went, she had an advice for him. Every time she went, she was still pouring into him and, or probably leaving some notes in his pockets, you know, leaving scriptures in his pockets for him to read. <laughs> The points that I'm trying to, to bring across is she did not delegate that job to anybody else. She didn't delegate it to the priest. She, she, she did it herself. Those four years, those, um, you know, prime time, right? The formative years of the child, she made sure that she poured into her child. She made sure that she sowed a seed into her child. She made sure that the child knew who he was. And we know we all know how um, Samuel turned out. He turned out to be a great prophet of God. Amen. And so moms, like I said from the beginning, you can be the mother of the next president. You can be the mother of a great prophet. Really, it is up to you. You need to speak into the lives of your children. Don't allow just anybody to say anything into your child's life. Be that number one influencer. Influence your child. Today, there are so many um, social media influencers. You don't want those people influencing your child. Be the number one influencer. Be the greatest influence on your child's life. Amen. And um, another thing um, that's just last week, I was, I was chatting with my sister and she was telling me about how she started giving her child um, responsibilities at home, chores at home, he's nine years. And then um, another thing that came up was we were having this chat was how, you know, celebrities in the West have said that they're gonna leave their kids to, you know, make their own choices, um, do whatever they want. Um, I read about one lady who, um, said that her child wanted, I think, I don't remember the exact, um, but I think her child was a boy, but the child wanted to be a girl. And so she started, you know, she's respecting her child's choices. And um, I think the child has started going for these shots that would enable him transition to be a girl. I'm like, 
how? You know, these children don't even know um, how, how to wear shoes. They don't even know which, which clothes to, you know, the right clothes to choose. They don't even know um, the proper nutrition. They don't even know they need to eat vegetables. How do you leave such a big decision for a child? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense, you know? And so as Christian mothers who um, know the truth, who know that we live for eternity, who know that God is going to come back with a reward, who know that um, we don't live for the here and the now, you can't leave such big decisions for your child to take. You need to be helping. You need to influence that decision. I mean, ultimately, it's your children who are going to decide, right, that they are going to follow God. But you have an opportunity to influence that decision big time. And so during those formative years, you want to be sowing seeds into your child's life. And so if you are a mother here and, you know, your child has gone astray, there is good news for you. If you were praying for your child, if you've been sowing seeds into your child, if you've been teaching your child that we know that he's going to come back. That is the good news. He is definitely going to come back. Don't keep mute. Don't keep quiet. Continue to pour into your child. When they call you on phone, continue to give them scriptures. That's one thing my mom does all the time. When we call her till this day, she always has a verse for us. She always has a scripture for us. So continue doing that. Continue pouring into your children. Sometimes the only verse, you know, they, they are so busy, they are not reading the Bible for themselves. And so the only verse they're going to hear is the one that you share with them. And so don't keep quiet. Pray for your children. Read the Bible to them. Whenever I remember this, I when I'm nursing my child, I just start declaring things onto him. I just start like, I just start making declarations. I just declare things. And then when I'm driving with them, I'll, I'll be singing songs because I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to waste any time. They, they, they are children for just a few years, right? Five years. That's, that's a very short time. And so when I'm with them, I always want to be singing something positive. I want to be singing songs. I want to be reading scripture to them. Anything that would have an influence in their later life. And so mothers, stop worrying about your kids, what they are going to wear, what they're going to eat, and think more about their soul, where their souls are going to end up. Pray for them. The final example that I want to give is um, the story about Lois and Eunice. You don't hear much about them in the Bible, except that you know, they were women of sincere faith. So from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And from Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we learn that um, so we learned that Timothy's mother was a believer, but his dad was a Greek, right? So um, an unbeliever. And yet, in spite of that, see what Timothy grew up to become. And so single mothers, you don't have any excuse. You can influence your child. It doesn't matter whether um, you are in a home where it's divided, where the mother is um, a believer and the dad is an unbeliever. You still can influence your child. You still can influence, you know, how your child, what your child eventually becomes. We see that Lois passed this on to um, Eunice and then Eunice also passed whatever her faith also onto Timothy. 
And so as mothers, we should be, we should really be mindful of this. We should really think about, you know, every day in our daily interactions with our children, we should be careful the kind of things we are seeing. We should be careful to model our faith to our children. When you read 2 Timothy 3.15, it says that, and from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From infancy. So that's where it starts. From infancy. Don't wait for your children to, you know, be 30 years, 40 years. At that age, it's very difficult to, to, um, to influence them. But at, at the very young age, from infancy, so you see here that Timothy was impacted right from infancy. So as a mother, a nursing mother, whatever you are, whenever you are nursing your children, you know, you can be speaking words unto them. You can be making declarations unto them through our daily interactions with our children. Let us pass down, you know, our faith to generations. The faith that we have developed from studying the word, from praying, let us learn to share that faith with our children. I want to leave us with two more scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine. It says that you shall make your children and your children's children know the ways of God. And so the work is not just for the mothers. Your work doesn't just end as you give birth to your child. As a grandmother, you also have a job, you know, to bring up the children in the way of the Lord. Also, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven, it also says, you shall, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And so these are commands from God, shall. These are commands from God. Mothers, grandmothers, spiritual mothers, godmothers, we have an enormous ministry. We have the ability to influence generations. We have the ability to raise godly men. We have the ability to raise future presidents, doctors, prophets. And so this morning, I want to charge you, use your influence wisely. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We have heard your word that as mothers, we do have a lot of influence. We do have a lot of impact. We are able to leave an indelible mark on our children. And so we pray this morning that you will give us the wisdom, oh God, to use this influence wisely. We pray, oh God, that you will show us what's the purpose for these children, that we'll be able to train them up in the way that they should go, that when they grow, they will not depart from it. In the mighty name of Jesus, have we prayed with thanksgiving. Amen.